Winning is good, okay? I would say to you that winning is good. And I realize that we live in a day and age where winning is downplayed. Or it's not as important as it, as, as it could be. And I get that type of thinking that would want to downplay some of the, the winning aspect. I get the thing, as we're teaching our kids to play sports, I get it that winning isn't everything, okay? Um, that winning, winning might matter a little bit, but it's more about how you play the game. And that's true, and I think that's good to teach our kids when we play athletics that it's not just about winning, it's about developing character and playing hard and doing all those things. But, it, but I'm here to tell you that winning does matter. Winning is a good thing. Uh, the first time I ever won um, a significant amount of money was when I first became a pastor. I just shared with you a little bit about uh, I tried to plant a church. It didn't work. But then the church, the church that I went to, the very first church that I went to, I uh, was called to be their pastor, young pastor. I went to a local uh, elementary school basketball game. And I got there and I walked in. It was like two bucks for the game. And I see right there, there's a 50-50 I said, oh, I'd like to support my local team, my local community. And so I bought a 50-50 ticket and went in, to, went to the game, found some of the people in the church that were there. It was, it was packed with mostly church people, it seemed. And, and uh, the whole building was packed in this area and, and sitting there and got to halftime. And, and they took out the 50-50 drawing. It had grown. It was a big drawing. And, uh, and, and they drew the winner. Steve Lombardo, would you please come down and receive your 50-50 winnings? And I, the, I think the lights all went dim. A big spotlight came down me. And, uh, and now the, here's the gambling pastor walked down to get his, uh, get his winnings. And, uh, and, and I walked down. And I was so embarrassed. This is, this is terrible. You know, I'm the, uh, I'm the new pastor in the area. I'm endorsing the gambling thing. Um, and, and I received. But even with that... It was still great to win, I'll tell you that. And to get that money was so good. And uh, it pains me to say that I did give the rest, I gave it all back to the program, okay? That hurt, by the way, to do that. Um, I gave it back to the program. But uh, even with that, tie to the gambling stuff uh, and to organized crime or whatever, uh, I enjoyed winning because winning is a good thing. I'm not going to uh, go along with everybody else and say winning doesn't matter. Winning does matter. How many of you want to win in your life, right? And you want to excel at the things that you do. And you want to win at your job. You want to work hard. You want to get that promotion. And you want to get that bonus. You want to work hard for that. And I mean, you're going to show yourself uh, to be approved by your boss. And you're going to work hard for that. I want to work hard in my relationships. And I want to win in my relationships. And I, I won with my wife. And uh, that's a big win for me. And I, and I won. And uh, winning is a good thing. And, and so I'm not going to downplay it. Now, I get some of the other stuff, so we want to be careful with those things with our kids. It's not the only thing. But, uh, but I am here to say that winning is good. And today we're going to look at some winners in Scripture from Hebrews chapter 11 and, and see how they won. They won big time in their faith. They won in some incredible ways. And so as we get ready to see this in Scripture, I want to show you an incredible victory that happened in the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. And uh, uh, look, let me just show it to you. Here's the speed skating. And now it's only one man across the line for gold. It'll be over in 90 seconds. Matthew Turcotte takes the lead. He was advanced out of the semifinal. 
And there's the young Korean skater sliding on the inside. Sometimes you don't even know where he is. He's so small, he just slips in there. All right now, Ono hanging back and forth. They're trying to pass on the inside. Some jostling, common and short track. Apollo has to be careful. He does not want to get disqualified. And with only six laps to go, he does not want to get caught in the back when the pace really picks up. Now on from Korea has taken the lead. Turcotte of Canada second. Lee Jajun is third. And Odo is fourth. Lee Jajun moving on the inside pass with Turcotte. And he's somebody who sits in. And there goes Apollo on the inside. He got past two. But still trailing the Korean. The 16-year-old, the spectacled skater, is now the obstacle between Ono and Gold. Apollo's in a great position right now with only two and a half laps to go. And there he makes his move on the outside. A great pass from Lee Zaijun coming up on the inside. It's going to be between these two. A lap and a half. And Ono, here's the bell. One lap for Gold. He's reaching back for one more gear. Trying to hold up Lee. They bump. They bump. short track. We get stunned again. Oh no, just yards from gold. But there was too much jostling in that last turn, and mostly between Ono and Lee Jajun. Stephen Bradbury won that at the very end. He had never won any real gold medal or silver medal or anything in the Olympics. He won the gold medal in the speed skating in 2002. Stephen Bradbury, Australian speed skater. And you saw him behind. And he, he just, all of a sudden, it's wide open. And he went... He went right through the finish line. It's a, almost a miraculous victory. Incredible victory. I'm here to tell you this morning that God does incredible victories. He shows us incredible victories in this life. And uh, it's not guaranteed to us, we're going to see. Um, but it does happen. God does the miraculous. He is still a miracle-working God. And uh, today we're going to look at some incredible stories, true stories of God's people who experienced these powerful victories in extraordinary ways. And so if you got your Bibles, I invite you to go to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read starting at verse 32. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Let's start here. Number one, God uses all kinds of people. God uses all kinds of people. If you've been around this summer and you've been in this chapter, chapter 11, this hero's passage, you've seen it's God using all different types of people. Rahab, the prostitute, he's using Abel in the, way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. He's using incredible, diverse group of people. God uses all kinds of people. And we get to this list and we get to the end of the chapter and we just get like a flash of names from the author. 
And so if you're here today and, and you think you're not perfect or wondering if God can use you and, and wondering if you have enough faith to be a, a, a member of the hall of faith, okay? Um, listen, look at these people that, that are, are listed for us. First, a couple of guys that were given are ones that have doubts or they're unsure of themselves. And the, the, the list gives us Gideon and Barak. Gideon's story can be found in Judges chapter 6. And if you got your Bibles, I keep one finger in Hebrews and go to Judges chapter 6. And just want to briefly show you a little snapshot of Gideon's life and of Barak's and, and to see uh, that God uses them despite what some people might say are deficiencies that are disqualifying. Okay? Gideon, in, in, in Judges chapter 6, gets called by God uh, to drive out the Midianites, the Amalekites, other people who are opposed to the nation of Israel. And Gideon is, is called to be a, a man of war, a man of power, a man to rise up and to deliver God's people from the threats of the enemies. In a matter of fact, the angel of the Lord comes and appears to Gideon, verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's amazing. God comes and calls him a mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. The Lord comes to him and, and shows up and speaks to him. And you see his response right away is one of, of doubting, of being unsure. And the Lord answered, verse 16, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So the Lord is there, and the Lord has made himself known to Gideon, and he's called him a mighty warrior, and he said, you're going to be my guy, and you're going to deliver my people. You're going to deliver the nation of Israel from the hands of the Amalekites and the Midianites. And Gideon's like, okay, but if it's really you, just stay here real quick, and let me go and get some food, and I'll come back. And if it's really you, this is real, I'm not making it up, I'm not going crazy, then we'll proceed from there, and he does. And he cooked the meal for him, and, and uh, they eat together. And he realizes that it is the Lord. In verse 23, the Lord says to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Because the, the, the scriptures have said that anyone who sees the Lord, uh, no one can see God and live. And yet this is the Lord God. It's the angel of the Lord, probably the pre-incarnate Christ appearing to him. So Gideon, verse 27, took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So he was told to cut down the idols to Baal. He was, he was told to destroy the, the, the worship places of the Ashtoreth and the Baals. And he was told that by God himself. He had some doubts about it, but God proved himself. And he went from that place and he waited until night to do the thing that God asked him to do. He was still doubtful. He was still unsure. That's Gideon. Now, 
uh, you flip the page, Gideon's story continues toward the end of chapter 6. And you probably learned this in Sunday school. If you went to Sunday school, you learned this story of uh, Gideon and his fleece, right? And so you see this play out, verse 36 and following, that um, he puts the, the fleece out. And he says, God, if, if it's really me, if this is really a message from you, make the fleece be wet and everything else be dry. And in the morning, that was true. And then he said, God, I, I hate to say this again, but let's do the opposite. If it's really you and, 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 and this is really confirmed to be you, let the fleece be uh, dry and everything else be wet. And God answers his prayer. And when I read this for Gideon, I see myself. He's unsure. God has called him a mighty warrior. He makes it to the list here in chapter 11. But he doubts. He has questions. Gideon, a man of doubts. Barak is is the next one listed that uh, also experiences these types of doubts. In chapter 4, He is a man called by God again to deliver God's people. The book of Judges is all about um, people doing what's right in their own eyes, the nation of Israel. And God raises raises up these judges to help lead his people and guide his people. And they deliver God's people, the nation of Israel, from their enemies. And and, and Barak is one of them. And the prophetess, Deborah, calls Barak to lead God's people. And uh, he says this, verse 8, Barak said to her, to Deborah, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. So here's another man in our list who's called by God and he is filled with doubts. He is unsure. Even though God's woman, the prophetess Deborah, had made it plain to him that he was God's chosen one for this calling, he said, okay, I'll do it, but you've got to come with me. He was unsure of himself. He wanted to bring Deborah along. And Deborah said, okay, I will go. And she goes along. But the one that's going to win this battle, the one that's going to win this is not going to be a man. It's going to be a woman. And one of the most incredibly gory stories of the Bible is found in the rest of Judges chapter 4. Okay, so kids, you'd like to read that tonight before you go to bed. Um, it's, uh, somebody gets a tent peg through their head into the ground. All right. That's an Excedrin headache. (laughs) Doubts. The list goes on. Samson is given on the list next. And his story can be found in Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. And Samson, you could pick him apart if you wanted to. As a matter of fact, a couple years ago, we did a, a series on Samson. He was a prideful man. He had a hot temper. He was filled with lust. Many things, many sins that were um, stumbling, a stumbling block to Samson. And even in his death, he says some things that aren't quite what you would want someone to say who is a, a judge of God or called by God. Look at chapter 16. Here's the death of Samuel. Or, or Samson, excuse me. Samson had been um, blinded out. He had, he had his hair cut off. He had lost all of his strength. And he had been uh, taken by the uh, Philistines. And, and they plucked his eyes out. And they put him in jail. And they all gathered together. Verse 23. The rulers of, of the Philistines assembled together to offer a sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. 
And when the people saw him, they praised their God. So they're praising their false god, Dagon, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. Here's a pagan people who hate God, and they, and they worship this demonic deity, Dagon. And they think they have the victory, and they've taken this mighty man of God, Samson, and he's been blinded, and he's a little weakling. He's been reduced to nothing. This man that was so powerful, such a warrior, who took out hundreds of people at once by his might. A thousand men by, with the jawbone of a donkey. And here he's paraded in front of them, a blind, poor soul. And Samson prays to the Lord, verse 28, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now the best prayer there would probably be, O Lord, these people have done what is evil in your sight and they continue to rebel against you. Let me be an instrument of your judgment upon them they would be remembered no more, but you would be remembered. I mean, something like that. Um, but instead, he's like, let me get revenge for my eyes. I can see myself and Samson. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Samson. Samson is in our list. Samson, the prideful, hot-tempered, lust-filled man who even in the end didn't probably have his thinking correct. He's in the list. Then we hear the story of Jephthah, Judges chapter 11. Jephthah is a, a man, and just really briefly, who has, I would say, a challenging childhood. Um, you can find his story in Judges chapter 11, and we find out that his mom is a prostitute. And his dad ends up having other family members and, and other kids, and, and they put him, Jephthah, out of their house. And they ridicule him for his mom, for his heritage. Now, he had nothing to do with his mom's way of life. He had nothing to do with that. And he had a childhood that was anything, than, anything but normal, Jephthah. And he was used by God and called by God. He had a challenging childhood, and yet he was here. Then we could go to David. He's a sinner. We could pick any sins of David as well. But he's, he's the one that, through the lust of the flesh, he saw a woman, had to have her. He did. She got pregnant. And in order to cover up the pregnancy, he murdered. He had her husband killed in battle. And this is David in our list. A sinner. We even have someone who has an unbelieving and unsupportive family. Samuel. Samuel's in our list. He's one in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We read that his kids, his sons, did not follow his ways. Samuel was a mighty man, prophet of God, who, who followed the Lord. But we don't know how he raised his kids, but evidently they rebelled and they rejected God. And, and the people of the nation of Israel said, we want a king. Your sons are no good. 
They don't follow your ways. Your sons are rotten to the core. Samuel, the prophet with an unbelieving family. So here's our list this morning. And um, I love it that the author says this. And what more shall I say? I do not have the time. It's as if he's saying, okay, we've got this great big list here. And I, I, I have so much more that I can say. I mean, who can forget these guys? And then he lists these guys. But what we just talked about there, in, in my mind, gives us a reason to forget those guys. In my mind, I would say those guys should, could be and should be forgotten for what they've done. But that's not our God. Our God who is rich in love and mercy and grace, He keeps them on the list This God, who loves us with an everlasting love, who has died in our place, Jesus, on the cross of Calvary for you and for me, keeps us on the list. Despite our sin, despite our shortcomings, I love it. And so really, when you say that God uses all kinds of people, that's true. And these people were used mightily by God. But I would say this. God saves all kinds of people. God saves all kinds of people. It's a mission that we're doing all throughout our church. And it's really the great commission that Jesus gave to all of us. That we would go out into the world and we make disciples of all the nations. And we're trying to do that in Plano, to make disciples, that people would be saved. And and the message to people that would come to Plano, and I know it's the same message here, it's that God saves all kinds of people no matter who you are, no matter what your background. You could have an unbelieving and unsupportive family. Are you a sinner? Everybody say yes. Yes, you could have a challenging childhood. You could have uh, doubts galore. But I'm here to tell you that God saves people. And it doesn't matter what their background. And when I do new membership classes, we want to invite people into the membership class. Many of you stood up here, you were just in that class. Some people tell me, I can't come to a membership class. So I, I, I don't know if the classroom will fall down on me because of where I've been and what I've done and who I am. And I'm here to tell you, there's a, there's a list right here. And, and, and um, there's some junk going on in this list. And they're in the hall of faith. They're in the hall of fame of faith. And God saves all kind of people, and He wants to save you. This is our God. God saves all kinds of people. Romans 5, 8 says this, that God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I wonder if we would have that sink into our head. That Jesus died for us when we were at our lowest when we were at our furthest from him, when we were struggling in our sin, that's the point that he loved you and died for you. God doesn't wait for you to change yourself to gain his love. He loves you at your worst. And so this is a statement that I love to say. God doesn't love you for who you are. He doesn't. God loves you because of what he's done. So you might have a family that's rotten, a childhood. You were on the wrong side of the tracks your whole life. You have doubts this morning. You wonder if you can come to God. You're going through some serious stuff in your life. And it's hard to believe that God's there. But you want to believe. And you struggle. And right now your state might not be the best. But guess what? Jesus died for you at your worst. 
And uh, that's an amazing message of salvation that we have. God saves all kinds of people. God uses all kinds of people. Number two, God promises victory to all of his people. We see a list then. What more shall I say? Here's these guys who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, whose became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life. Just an incredible list. And we'll, we'll, we'll mention that in a moment, a little more in depth. Um, but the point is here, the people of faith won. The people of faith won. Remember we started out this whole message by saying winning is a big deal. Winning is a good thing. And how many people want to win in life? And how many people want to win in their careers? How many people want to win in their marriage? How many people want to win? Winning is a good thing. And the people of faith, the people who trusted in God, won. I love that. Winning is a good thing. There is victory in Jesus Christ. This is salvation. And so we must be saved. As uh, the early church fathers would say and the reformers, we need to be saved from sin, which is self, sin, death, and the power of the devil. And there's salvation in Jesus Christ in all those areas of our life. If you're in Jesus Christ, meaning you're you're trusting in Him, you believe in Him, you're a new creation, and you have victory, even though you might fail and even though you might falter, there is a victory that's guaranteed for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's victory over temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. When you're tempted, know that God provides a way out. And you might feel a temptation and you're, you're, you're tempted to go in, into sin, but, but take a look at the other way. Take a look somewhere else. There is a way out. God's promised you deliverance, promised you a victory. How about against the world? John 16, 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The world might be beating you down, the circumstances in life that surround you, might be terrible, but God gives you the victory through Jesus Christ, even in the world. How about against the devil? First John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you, meaning Jesus, than he that is in the world. The devil. The devil is real. Demons are real. The spiritual world is a frightening one, but the one that lives in you is greater than all. And even death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death is swallowed up in, in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even death, and we're all going to face it, even death doesn't gain the victory over God's people. God promises victory to all of his people. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I really cherish is being with people when they die. And uh, I'm, I've been with a lot of people uh, around that time or up to that time or just after that time. To actually be there at the time of death is, is more rare, but it does happen. And I remember um, when I was at the bedside of one of the first people that I ever saw die, uh, something's happened that never had happened since. And I want to tell you about it this morning. Go back before that about a year and a half, and a man in, our, in the church that I served uh, was diagnosed with uh, inoperable um, liver cancer. 
And he had a couple different options, but none of them were promised to do really anything. And so he was going to try, try to take some chemo. And lots of you are probably familiar with this story or have friends and family that you know of. You know, try it out for a little bit, but it could make his quality of life worse. But want to see how it goes. You want to do everything you can. He was an older man, 82 years old, but healthy. He still worked in great shape. It came to a shock to everybody that he was diagnosed and given probably under two years to live. So I would gather with him over the next year and a half and go over to his house and visit with him and ask him how he's doing and we'd pray together and we'd pray for two things. Number one, we'd pray for healing. We'd pray for, for God to step in and do the supernatural and to, and to, to heal him. He, he's the great physician and we tell the Lord that. Um, and ask him to, to heal. And we'd cast all of our cares on the Lord. We believed that he could, and so we'd ask him that. But we'd also pray for the second thing, that if God wasn't going to heal him in that way now, that God would come quickly, that God would come and, and grab him and take him quickly. He was sure of his place in heaven, not because of his own self, but because of Christ. And he just asked that God would come quickly and, and, and perhaps in his mercy spare some of the suffering that would come with this kind of cancer. And so we pray that. And uh, he, he went on and, and he actually um, didn't respond to any of the chemo, but he, he went through it for his family. He actually, I think, went through one more round to try and, and that didn't work. Uh, he got worse and worse. And then I got the phone call to come on over that he was dying. And so... Um, and so I went over to the house and all of the family was there and all of the grandkids were there and uh, hospice was there and the nurses that were there and, and I came in and uh, came over to his bedside. He had just went kind of unconscious and that's why they called me. He, he'd been in bed for a, couple, for a day, for a day. He was up that morning. And so I, I went in and uh, talked with him and his wife was sitting on the other side of him. I was on the one side and just grabbed his hand and and uh, talked just very briefly and then prayed for him just like we always prayed. And I, in that moment, prayed that, God, you can do it even now just to heal him, we pray. But if that's not your will, we also pray, Lord, that you would just deliver him. You deliver him from this body of sin and death to the glorious future we trust that he has in Jesus Christ, Lord. Amen. And he just stopped breathing. Right in that moment, we sat there. And uh, about two minutes later, the nurse came over and he confirmed he was gone. And I remember the crying in the house. He's a beloved man. And the crying happened and, and it was a different kind of crying, I could tell. It was a crying of sorrow, yes, but it was also a crying of joy. God had delivered grandpa from this body of sin and death. God, even in that moment and instance, everybody who was around saw it, knew it. And so we went to the funeral the next couple of days and we celebrated his life and celebrated life in Jesus Christ. We talked about John chapter 11 that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus raised the dead Lazarus and he can raise us to life. God gives the victory to his people. Um, finally, God's victories are glorious victories. They're glorious. 
Now, this list is incredible. This is an amazing thing. Um, we just read it, so I'm not going to read it again. Uh, conquered kingdoms. First of all, I'll go back to 32. After the listing of all the names, he says, and the prophets, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith. So this is the guys that he listed and the prophets that aren't listed. All of these guys did these amazing things. And that's just guys, by the way. It's men and women. There are women on this list who through faith and then did these things, conquered kingdoms, administered justice. Um, let me just t- test you, a little audience participation, okay? You call out who you think the text is talking about. Who shut the mouths of lions? Who do you think that is? Daniel, good. Um, who quenched the fury of the flames? Who's that? Quenched the fury of flames. Maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, maybe. Uh, escaped the edge of the sword, many of those. Um, who became powerful in battle and rooted, routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Who was, who was that, the prophets, that actually rose somebody back to life? Elijah and Elisha and uh, amazing things. These, these are amazing things that happen. God is capable, listen, God is capable and he still does the miraculous. Even in our scientific day and age, I'm here to tell you that God still works miracles. And we're more of the reformed uh, evangelical church movement. Um, and, and sometimes we shy away from some charismatic things that are kind of crazy and wacky. Um, but but we got to not forget this. God does the miraculous. And uh, while you still have breath, you still have hope. I love that. While you still have breath, you still have hope. And so God does the miraculous here in this list. This is all what it's about. That God's victories are glorious victories. Now this text is going to go on, and I don't have time to preach about it. You're going to get it next week. But the text is going to go on, and they're going to be another set of people who gain the victory, but they're not what the world would say glorious victories. They're hard victories. They're victories that um, only God knows, and people behind the scenes see. But these people are getting torn apart. They're They're not making foreign enemies run away. They're getting trampled by foreign enemies. That's next week. Let's sit in the glorious victories of, of this week. That they're dead that are being raised to life. That the armies are running away. These are powerful victories. God's glorious victories. God is still a miracle-working God. So when you pray, when you cast your cares on the Lord, know this. God does the miraculous. Now the normal way of things is that God works um, according to the created order. Okay? And so he, the normal part of life is that um, unless God steps in in a crazy, supernatural, miraculous way, and he can, things operate by the way that he's created things to operate. But here's the thing, and I, I want you to remember this. Foxhole prayers are still prayers. Okay? Foxhole prayers might not be the best, but I'm still going to pray them. You know what foxhole prayers are, right? There, when you're in a dire situation, when you're in a terrible situation, foxholes in war or battle, and you're calling out to God. Some people in battle, they never called out to God. They poo-pooed God their whole life and, and now, but they're about ready to face death. And then they're, they're saying the Lord's Prayer and anything else they can remember. And it's a foxhole prayer. 
foxhole prayer is you're going to go to lunch today and you're going to go to McDonald's and you're going to sit down and eat and you're going to pray, Lord, bless this food to my body, I pray. Amen. That's a foxhole prayer, man. He's got to do a lot of miraculous things to get that blessing in your body. It's God, please keep me safe. I'm going skydiving. Please keep me safe, I pray. God's got to step in. Those are kind of like the foxhole prayers. God normally operates according to the way he's created things. And so let's get that through our heads first, that, that God's made a way uh, to, to live, and he, he's told us in, it, in his word, and if we follow it, we're going to have the best possible life that we can. But even then, we might run into bumps along the road because there are, uh, uh, there's sin in the world, and not just bumps around, along the road. We might run into things that are going to derail our lives because we live in a sinful world. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. There are glorious victories in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Just remember that these victories are awesome. I want to rejoice in these. Off- this is what our God can do, man. He can blow away anything and anyone. And that's my God. And that's who I'm associated with. He's the God that raises the debt. And when my grandpa, who was the first one close to me, died and I stood by that fresh grave, I mourned and I cried, but I knew it wasn't the end because God has the victory even over death. That's the God we serve. Victories that we have in God are glorious. So in conclusion, as I thought about these things, and I I believe they're right in the text, that God uses all kinds of people that he promises victory, and, and those victories are glorious victories. What would stop me from participating in this life this way? What would stop you as a church and as an individual from experiencing these great victories? What are the things that threaten your faith, that would threaten your finish line faith? And the big one, and it's not very detailed and I'm not going to flesh it out this morning, is this, unconfessed sin. And we've been reminded that unconfessed sin can bring down even the greatest of stories. In recent days, and we see a church, local church in our area, whose leadership faltered and, and failed and, and, and unconfessed sin that, that went unchecked, has, has brought a church low and in turn brought shame to the name of Christ. Unconfessed sin, that we would be a people who are confessing our sins one to another, that we would be repenting. That we would be a people who would rejoice in God's victories and on the one hand and be a broken, confessing people on the other. That's what we're praying for God to do in Plano. That's what we're playing, praying for God to do here. That's what we're praying for God to do at Village and around the world wherever Jesus' name is proclaimed and believed.